Well, God's people said, amen, amen. Oh, what a, what a great day to be in the house of the Lord. We're looking at John chapter 16 this morning. John chapter 16. I had a preacher call this week, and uh, he wanted to know if maybe God had my number. And I said, God ain't got no number for me. He's got my name. I know, uh, uh, what's that? Amen. Amen. Is my collar messed up? Oh, you're saying amen. I'm not used to that. Amen. <laughs> anyway, I, I've been in this thing long enough. He wants to pastor this church is what he wants. That's why he's wanting to know if I'm on my way out. And I said, well, uh, they got enough videotapes here to, to listen to me for another 20 years if anything happens. <laughs> But anyway, what a, what a joy. I thank you for praying uh, for me. Uh, and uh, God's, God's got everything under control. He has, he is, and he will. We done read the end of the book. There, there are two unpopular themes in modern evangelical circles. And John 16 deals with both of them. One is the need to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We don't want to suffer for anything. We were at Mason Creek just a few moments ago, and one of the hymns they sang was, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory. And, of course, you know the words. Uh, he died for me, so let us live for him. But the original words to that song is that he died for me, so let us die for him. We don't want to talk about dying anymore. The other theme that's here is the certainty of God's judgment. God's judgment. Uh, I, we can celebrate. I, I, I have probably 20 churches that I go to every week just to see what they're doing. You know, I don't want them to outdo us, so I, I, I make sure that we're, we're seeing what they're doing. With the exception of two, Every one of them are aiming at December as how to survive, how to survive Christmas, how to survive a hostile world, how to, how to, how to, we're going to celebrate December celebrating. We're going to have the largest evangelical service we've ever had in the history of the church on the first Sunday of December. And then the second Sunday of December, our choir and the Irwins are going to do the best Christmas program we've ever had in the history of the church. And then on the third Sunday of December, we're going to celebrate each other and just praise the Lord for the birth of Christ. And then we'll have a Lord's Supper and, and uh, 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 candlelight service. It's going to be a time of celebration. Folks, I want to tell you something. God didn't, God didn't die on Calvary for us to just get along. He didn't die and rise from the dead so that we could survive. He wants us to thrive. John chapter 16, verse 1, we'll just read. Well, we got time. I got all morning, don't I? I don't have anywhere to go. Would you stand in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word? The Bible says, these things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh, that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. 
And these things will they do unto you because they've not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, ye may remember that I told you of them. And these things I, say, I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. Father, thank you again for just speaking to our hearts, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the men and women that stood here in this place this morning and the men and women that gave up their lives. But especially today, we're, we're honoring veterans. These men and women sacrificed, left their families, left their jobs, left their schools so that we could remain free as a country. And I pray you'll bless our veterans all over this country. Uh, Lord, uh, may you be honored and glorified in their lives. And then, Lord, for this service this morning, God, would you just speak? Lord, just... Uh, Get me out of the way, and you just have your way in every life. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart, cleanse every part, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. God's people said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seat seated. Our New Testament churches today are aimed at the direction of how Christianity can help you be successful, how it can help you be prosperous. And, uh, and, and, and the Word of God does teach principles about being joyful and being successful and being prosperous. All, all those are in the Word of God. But I want to tell you what else is in the Word of God. Acts 14, 22 through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus spoke to his followers and told them, Take up your cross and follow me. There's one thing for certain. When you saw a man headed out the gates of the city with a cross, you knew one thing for certain. He not coming back. He's not coming back. In its extreme form of the de-emphasis that we've placed on suffering, in many cases, we have moved over to a heric, uh, heretical uh, gospel that's not true. The gospel that we've moved to is, if you've got sickness, you just rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Because everybody's going to be well. If you need finances, you just claim it in the name of Jesus because God wants everybody to be prosperous. And in the midst of all of that, if you happen to still have sickness, that's because you don't have enough faith. And yet the Word of God teaches just the opposite. You see, we love to focus on the love of God and the grace of God, and I love to focus on the love of God. If it wasn't for the love of God and the grace of God, we wouldn't have any shout in us at all. It's worth shouting about. In his popular book, Love Wins, 
I think we threw him out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Bob Bell, Rob Bell, argued that a loving God would not punish people in an eternal hell. That's, that's a preacher. And, and a well, and a big church. Or he was, I think they'd thrown him out. I can't remember. He said they threw him out. Hallelujah. <laughs> so when we look at John chapter 16 this morning, it's not going to be a popularity contest. Jesus is not going to be popular for what he says here in John chapter 16. But here's the final thing. Our task, as well as the disciples' task, is to witness in the power of the Spirit to a hostile world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. John MacArthur in his book, The Holy Spirit Convicts the World, says it like this. The world hates you, but Jesus said, I love you. The world is your enemy, but Jesus said, I'm your friend. The world gives you trouble and anxiety, but Jesus said, I give you my peace. The world will cause you to sorrow, but I give you my joy. The world may kill you, but I give you eternal life. The world is under Satan's power, but you'll have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So in the midst of all of this, we're tasked with the task of telling others about Jesus Christ. That's the number one task of the church. So I just ask you this morning, how are we doing? How are we doing? I mean, we're doing good financially. We're doing good mission-wise. We're doing good prayer-wise. We're doing good children's-wise. We're doing good youth-wise. We're doing good senior adult-wise. We're doing good music-wise. But how are we doing with the number one task of the church? Are we telling folks about Jesus? Now, let me just break it down. To witness in an unreceptive world, which we're in, without stumbling, you've got to face the difficulty of the task. You say, what's the difficulty of the task? You will be persecuted, and you may get killed. You will be persecuted, but you, and you may get killed. You see, their, their, their task was to go to a self-seeking, pleasure-oriented world. Our task is the same thing. The world we live in today, they're, they're looking for self-gratification. Uh, they're looking for pleasure. They're, they're, they've got itching ears. They're self-seeking. They, they don't want to proclaim and hear proclamation that God is going to judge everybody. Well, we, we need to be able to do what feels good to us. And what's right for us may not be right for you. Noah's day had the same thing. 120 years Noah preached. No one but his family got on that boat. Hmm. The Bible says he spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. <laughs> the same thing happened in Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. 2 Peter 2, 6 says, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow. And now listen to this, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for you guys in 2020 in America that wants to turn our country this away. This is what the result's going to be. This is the example of it. It's not going to get better, folks. It's going to get worse. 
And, and then he goes on to say, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Hmm. So I want to tell you, sinners are not going to respond favorably to this. They're not going to pat you on the back. You're not going to win a popularity contest when you decide that you're going to tell folks about Jesus Christ and witness to him. Now, you can tell them about God all day long because everybody's got a God. But when you start telling them about Jesus Christ, the one who bled and died on Calvary, the one who went into a borrowed tomb, the one who resurrected the third day, the one who ascended into heaven, the one who's coming back, they get, they get nervous. They get nervous. Paul was the same way when he was Saul. He went about d destroying the church, killing Christians. Centuries after that, the Roman Catholic Church instituted the Inquisition. That was to try to stop those who preached the true gospel. Religion has always been a perpetrator of persecution. The greatest hindrance to a Holy Ghost, God-filled revival is present-day religion. Jesus pinpoints the problem. He says in verse 3, look at it there. These things will they do unto you. What are they going to do? They're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to end up killing you. They're going to mock you. All these things they'll end up doing to you. Why? Because they have not known the Father nor me. They don't know the Father. The key to enduring persecution is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else we can trust in. He knows the future. That's one of the solid reasons to trust Jesus this morning because he knows all about the future. If you think this election caught him by surprise, it didn't. There's no, there's no, listen, chill out, chill out. It, of course, it ain't all over with yet, praise God. I hope not, but, but it may be. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm still going to trust the Lord. I'm still going to trust the Lord. When Jesus was with his disciples, he was the lightning rod. Anyone that was against him, they, they went after him. But you see, Jesus is not with his disciples anymore. We're his ambassadors. We're the lightning rods now. And so if we're going to be a witness in this world in the days to come, we need to make up our mind we're going to suffer some persecution. And we may even die. Now, if you say this morning, I'm just shooting straight with you, to be absent in this body, to be present with the Lord. Now, I got a lot of worldly things here that I enjoy and I love. I love my grandchildren. I love my wife. I love my church. I, I don't want to leave here today. I'm not, in, I'm not forgetting on a bus here today. But I want to tell you what. If the Lord says, Charles, come on home tonight, don't sit here and worry about me. You better carry on or else I'm going to come back and haunt every one of you. <laughs> you better not miss a service. And there better not be no store-bought potato salad in that thing either. <laughs> when I look at the disciples, I look at John who died of old age in Ephesus. Judas, of course, hung himself after he betrayed the Lord. Peter was crucified upside down. 
during the persecution of Nero. Andrew died on a cross in a Grecian colony. James, the younger brother of the Savior, was thrown from a pinnacle from the temple and then beat to death with a club when he hit the ground. James uh, uh, Bartholomew was flayed alive in Armenia. James, the elder son of Zebedee, was beheaded at Jerusalem. Thomas, the doubter, was run through the body with a lance at, in the East Indies. Philip was hanged against a pillar at Heropolis. And the, the Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows. And Simon died on a cross in Persia. We, we talk about the disciples, and then it comes down to us. Oh, I've been per- somebody took my pew at church, and I've just tore up. It, 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 they sang a song that I didn't know. And I want to tell you, my heart's broken. I believe our church is going down the liberal road because we're singing these choruses. And we're singing, oh, listen, the sound was so loud, the air conditioning was too cold, nobody spoke to me today. That's one of the glorious things about COVID-19. You can put a mask on, you have to speak to nobody. <laughs> you just kind of grunt, mm. You know, that's all. They don't know whether you're smiling or not. They have no idea. So the Lord speaks these prophetic words. Why? So we can be forewarned. Now listen. If we're forewarned of what's going to happen in the future, if we're forewarned about it, and he warns us about it, we are blithering idiots if we're not forearmed. If you've not, I mean, if somebody's going to come to your house tonight at midnight and rob you and you don't know anything about it and you don't have a gun and you're not ready, that's one thing. Nobody warned you. But if somebody come into your house at midnight and somebody called you and said, hey, they're coming in your house at midnight, get ready, you're going to have a gun waiting for them. If you're forewarned, we ought to be forearmed. You say, how do you get forearmed? The, the Word of God. This is how you get it. This is how you get it. He's able to do things above what we even dreamed he could do. Secondly, here to witness in a hostile world, you've got to focus on the glory of God and not on your own needs. Us, uh, back in the many years ago, we used to always say joy. Jesus, others, and then yourself. We kind of turn that around backwards now. Uh, but verse 5 and 6, if you'll notice it there. He said, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now, when I read that, I thought, wait a minute. Now, Lord, that's not right. You said nobody asked where you were going. If you go back down to chapter 13, uh, Peter said, Lord, where are you going? If you go to chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And now you're saying here in chapter 16, none of you ask, where are you going? It almost seems to be contradictory. D.A. Carlson said it like this. He explains by a little boy telling he's disappointed his father is suddenly called away on an important business trip. And the daddy and the little boy were going fishing. And the little boy says, oh, dad, where are you going? How come we can't go fishing? Where are you going? The little boy is not concerned with where his daddy's going. He's concerned because he's disappointed he's not getting to go fishing. 
those disciples were not concerned with where Jesus was going. They, Jesus says that. They didn't, they're not concerned that he's going to the right hand of the Father to sit with him, interceding for us. What they're concerned about is they've got this plan to take over and they've got a master, a Messiah here, and now he's going to be gone. They're upset he's not going to be there to do what they want him to do. Hmm. The application for us is to be an effective witness in this hostile world. We've got to take our feelings and our needs and put them to the wayside and focus on the glory of God. The glory of God. Even if we're persecuted, the glory of God ought to be our aim. Even if we're lined up to die, the glory of God ought to be our aim. We ought to be interested in the glory of God and not what satisfies me. And then thirdly, he said to witness to a hostile world, you must join the Holy Spirit in his witness concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 7, he makes a claim that startled the disciples, I'm sure. He said, I tell you the truth. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It is best for you that I go away. For if I don't go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. Now, we often think about, boy, wouldn't that be wonderful to have walked hand in hand with Jesus physically here on this earth? To be able to be with him? Wow, wouldn't that be? And yet Jesus is saying here, it's better off if I go because you're going to be able to do more stuff for the power of God if I'm gone and the Holy Spirit's here. It's not something they wanted to hear, but it's the truth. He lives within us to empower us to bear witness for Christ. John 7 says where Jesus promised that rivers of living water would flow from the innermost being of those who believe in him. He said, but this he spoke of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were not to receive uh, before the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Mm. We need to go back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and uh, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, guys, here's what the real deal is. The Holy Spirit's primary purpose is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing that, he gives us the power to be witnesses. If you're here this morning and you don't want to be a witness, well, you don't need the Holy Spirit. He has indwelt you so that you can have the power to be a witness for the glory of God. That's what his, in, his whole intention was. Now, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to convict the world. That's what he's going to do. Now, the Spirit obviously doesn't convict every person in the world. Even to this day, there are people that have never heard of Christ and not convicted of their sin. This world refers to unbelievers in general. The Greek word can, uh, translated convict here means to expose. You see, it's our job as a Christian, it's our duty as a Christian to lay it in such a simple fashion that people can understand the gospel and they can either say yes to the gospel or they can say no to the gospel. One of those two, yes or no. Uh, the, the word is used in the sense here 
to expose in John 3.20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. My wife did something that she's never done in 44 plus years of marriage. <laughs> we went to Mina. I got stir crazy Friday just sitting looking at the walls and and so I said, get in the truck. We're going. Where are we going? I said, I will figure it out. And we drove up to Mina, ate at Queen Wilhelmina. And they didn't have any rooms. And then uh, every hotel in Mina was full. Every one. Except one. I found one. The Budget Inn. $40 a night. My wife stayed there. But I want to tell you what I did. She's probably watching this here. <laughs> I turned the lights on ever so often to make sure there was no cockroach. Because if we saw a cockroach, buddy, she'd gone. She's gone. That, that, that's the way he's talking about here with sin. You see, sin's like a bunch of cockroaches here. When you turn the light on, man, they fly in every direction. You, you don't have to stand up at your job and say, I want to announce to y'all that I'm a Christian and I'm going to serve the Lord. No, they'll know it by the Holy Spirit in you. You won't have to announce it. Now, I'm not taking, talking about not taking a stand. You need to take a stand and you need to speak verbally. But listen, the world can figure that out before you ever open your mouth. In... in uh, the day of Pentecost when Peter preached. You remember what the Word of God said? They were pierced to their heart. You know who does that piercing? The Holy Spirit. I had people say, Preacher, I've been trying to get this guy saved. I've been trying to do this and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, that's what's wrong. You need to quit trying. Turn it over to the Holy Ghost. You see, he's the one who can keep somebody up all night. Even if you try to, they'll go to sleep right in front of you. But the Holy Spirit keep them up all night. He's the one who can lay them on the bed looking straight up for weeks at a time. It, now, all those who are saved are convicted of their sin. Let me see how I'm going to say this. You can be convicted of your sin and not be saved. But you can't be saved and not be convicted of your sin. See, there's a lot of folk get convicted of sin, and they just grab the pew a little bit tighter and then just ease on out. And they're still lost, even though they're convicted of their sin. One of those examples is in 1 Samuel. Uh, Samuel comes to, to King Saul and says, Hey, uh, <clears throat> how come you didn't do what God said do? Oh, I did. I did everything God said do. Samuel says, well, I, I hear the sheep bleeding. God told you to destroy them. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry for that. Uh, the people brought them back. And he blamed it on the people. He, he may have been convicted, but he never repented of it. And yet when Nathan the prophet goes to David, after he had committed adultery, he looked at, at uh, David, and David said this, I have sinned against God. See, that's the difference. That's the difference. The, the Holy Spirit, boy, we, we, it, it's not shallow, folks. He's deep. He's deep. 
The Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin. Look at verse 9. Verse nine. We talked a little bit about this Wednesday night, but a couple of y'all wasn't here, so let me kind of go over it a little bit. Uh, of sin, he said, because they believe not on me. If you were to go out in the neighborhood here and say, hey, what do you think some sins are? People say, well, adultery, too much drinking, stealing, you know, stuff like that. But you know what? Now, I'm just confessing to you as a pastor. I, I've messed this thing up. Those are not the sin. Those are fruits of the sin. The real sin is unbelief in Jesus Christ. And see, we're spending all our time trying to change people from committing abortion, change them from wanting to drink, change them from wanting to gamble and all. Those are the fruits of the sin. What those folk need more than anything else is the root of the sin taken care of. And the root of the sin is to be saved in Jesus Christ. That's what the root is. So when you deal with the root, it automatically deals with the fruit. You can deal with the fruit until the cows come home. And they still, they'll turn over a new leaf. They'll say, well, I, this brand of whiskey's not good. I'm going to change brands now. They'll have another kind of drug or whatever. But when Jesus comes in, he changes all of that. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin. You see, if a man is overboard in the middle of the ocean, it really doesn't make any difference whether he's a good swimmer or not. He's not going to swim 2,000 miles to shore. He's going to drown. Amen? And, and, and here's this guy that sees a guy overboard, and he throws him a life preserver and says, take the life preserver. And the guy says, oh, you know, I, I'm a good swimmer. I don't need that life preserver. I'm a good swimmer. I'll take care of it by myself. He's going to drown. The same thing happens in Christianity. Jesus is the life preserver. And you throw the life preserver out to somebody, there'll be people who will say, oh, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I give to a lot of charities, and I don't cuss very much. And compared to, uh, you know, to Barbie Baker down here, I'm really a good person <laughs> down here. And, you know, I, I, I think I'll be all right. No, you're going to drown. You're going to drown. I don't care how good a person you are. I don't care how much money you give. There's only one way that you're going to have eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. That's it. You say, well, I think I'll be all right. And then, of course, the other side of that, there are folks who say, I can't come to Jesus because I'm not worth it. Exactly. You're not worth it. I'm not worth it. No one else is worth it. But he gave, listen, he gave the same opportunity for those who don't think they're worth it as he did for those who think they're worth more than that. you got to come by way of the cross. And that's it. That's it. Well, the Holy Spirit also convicts the world concerning righteousness. He said, I go to the Father and you no longer see me. The Bible is clear that God imputes the righteousness of Christ to every sinner who believes in him. I could quote scripture after scripture after scripture, uh, but I want to tell you, uh, the Bible says in Romans 4, 5, but to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Boy, the moment you come to Jesus, he imputes that righteousness to you. And then the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment. Concerning judgment. 
Bible says in John 3, 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Hmm. What that means, folks, is our witness to unbelievers has got to include sin, righteousness, and judgment. We, we don't, listen, we don't need any more of this easy believism where you say, just come down the aisle, sign a card, you're in. You're in. No. 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 The, the Lord's glory is more important than any of that. He's a holy God. Remember the story of D.L. Moody, a shoe salesman, ignorant, didn't finish high school, never went to college, and yet God used him to win thousands of people to Jesus Christ. He was in London in a big crusade, and some high-dollar clergy came to see him, three of them. And they said, uh, Mr. Booty, Mr. Moody, we don't, we don't want to beat around the bush. We just want to know how God can take an ignorant shoe salesman from America and use him as such a great evangelist. And Moody walked over to the hotel window where he was staying, and he opened the curtains there. And he said, tell me what you all see. And one of them said, well, there's a, there's a horse in a buggy, and there's some kids playing their games. And the other one said, well, over here looks like a boyfriend or girlfriend standing on the light post there and everything. And they turned around, and Moody had tears just rolling down his eyes, down his face. And they said, what do you see, Mr. Moody? Mr. Moody said, I see souls that unless somebody tells them about Jesus, they're going to go to hell. Let me ask you something this morning. I'm not talking about Africa. I'm not talking about Haiti. I'm not talking about South America. I'm not talking about Mexico. I'm talking about us. When you sit down for Thanksgiving dinner and you're looking across the table, what do you see? You're going to say, well, I see my wife. I see my children. They're all home. I see my grandchildren. I see my grandkids. Nieces and nephews and uncles and aunts and, and cousins and all of those. I'm going to ask you this morning to not look at them like that. I'm going to ask you for the next few weeks, let's look at people as their soul. That if somebody doesn't tell them about Jesus, they're going to go to hell. They're going to go to hell. Is, is that, now you say, now wait a minute, preacher. See, I already got a problem with depression and I already don't feel good and now you're wanting me to be burdened with all this. Some going to suffer persecution and some may die. But I want to tell you, while you're thinking of yourself instead of the glory of God, your family members are on their road to hell. And as a church, we need to be so wrapped up in winning souls. We're not going to win them. We're, we're sowing the seed. That's all we're doing. We're sowing the seed. It's up to the Holy Spirit. We've got a joint connection with the Holy Spirit. He's our partner. 
and he's a much better partner than we are. I'm asking you this morning, maybe in this place this morning, you've never come to Jesus, you've never had a relationship with Jesus. You say, well, I thought you just said a prayer. No, no, you, you've got to, you got to realize that you're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You've got to realize you're a sinner. You've got to realize you can't save yourself, no matter how good you are. I'm looking at some good people in this church. There's some good people sitting in this place today, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. And then you've got to come to the point where you realize and repent of your sin and accept Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And he says if we confess him with our mouth, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be saved this morning. You walked in here lost and completely separated from God on a road to a place called hell, and you can leave this place free on the road to eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you need a church home. You say, well, I was thinking about joining, but I tell you, after this sermon today, I, I, I kind of like them churches that just tell us, let's all have a good time, and let's all be peace and joy and happiness and Hey, if you're like that, go. they're all over the place. I'll help you find one. I, I, will. I will. I want you to be. I want you to be where you think you need to be. I can't beat it in your head. I'll tell you one thing. I done read the end of this book. And you just remember what I told you. If we're forewarned, we ought to be forearmed. And through Jesus is the only way to do that. Father, we're grateful today for your presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. And, oh, God, would you just make yourself known, have the freedom to knock on the doors of men, women, and children and young people in this place today, that they would be saved before it's everlastingly too late. And then, oh, God, could you burden our heart with somebody, with somebody, just one, with somebody that if somebody don't tell them about Jesus, they're going to slip off in eternity without salvation. God, mm, may we fill this altar with people praying and weeping and confessing, Lord, and, and telling others about Jesus Christ. Would you have your way? Whatever you want to do, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?